Okay, Jeremiah chapter 12 today. Jeremiah chapter 12. As we continue through the book of Jeremiah on Sunday afternoons. And good to have John and Julie with us this afternoon. Thank you all for being with us. And uh, had a couple new visitors this morning as well. It's always exciting to see. Thank you, Kim, for inviting your friend and co-worker out. And uh, great to see that as well this morning. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 12, let's read verse number 3, then we'll pray. And, and we'll look at the chapter today. Now, verse number 3, Jeremiah 12 says, But thou, O Lord, knowest me, thou hast seen me, and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter, and prepare them for the day of slaughter. We're going to really focus in, really on Jeremiah in chapter 12. There are other things in the chapter, um, but want to kind of look at that. We Most of Jeremiah, we're looking at the uh, penalties, the punishment, the destruction, um, the results of not obeying God and following God. And, uh, and there is some of that in this chapter as well, but there's also some, if I could use the word more positive, things in this chapter with Jeremiah as well that we can learn from uh, today. Lord, thank you again for the good day that you've given us. Thank you for um, some new friends that we've met today. Lord, thank you for uh, the faithfulness of your people. And God, I pray that you would help us now as we look into this chapter uh, Lord, that we'd cover everything you want us to cover. God, that we'd learn from it, that we'd be encouraged by it this afternoon. Thank you for uh, your provision for our church and uh, how you continue to provide for it. And Lord, we pray that uh, we honor you and uh, we give all the glory to you for all that is done here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Jeremiah chapter 12, we're coming in here. If you remember in Jeremiah chapter 11, there was a plot against Jeremiah's life. They basically said, we don't want to hear your message, so we're just going to kill you. And uh, that's, a, that's a rough place to be if you're Jeremiah. You think about that. Uh, you know, I've been told many times, as a kid especially, I like to share my opinion. And uh, I've been told, hey, your opinion's not necessary in this conversation. Uh, I've been told that many times, uh, not anymore, of course, but as a young child, um, would receive that, that advice before. I remember as a fresh out of college, and uh, sitting in meetings at work and, and thinking, hey, I've got a good idea, and uh, I think my opinion needs to be heard here, and I would share it, and they would kind of, uh, you know, give me a little bit of a pity, you know, thanks for sharing kind of a thing, and then we'd walk out of the meeting, and my dad would tell me, I don't think that was necessary. Um, maybe next time you just keep your mouth shut and, <laughs> and, and uh, figure out a better time to talk. So uh, there are things like that in life where, uh, you know, people don't want to hear your thought. But I've never been told, if you don't stop talking, I'm going to kill you. Um, and I've, I've, I, I take that back. I've heard that. Um, but it was out of a joke, I think, uh, at the very least. Jeremiah here was bringing the message of God to the people, and the people didn't want anything to do with it. And so now we come into chapter 12, and God's judgment is really going to be talked about through most of chapter 12. And look in verse 1, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that uh, deal very treacherously? Jeremiah is asking a question. He's saying, God, it feels like the, those who are wicked, those who are not obeying you, are prospering. It kind of looks like they're happy. And I'm kind of in a rough spot, and you know my life isn't super joyful right now. So he's asking God, 
Let's talk about your judgments. Uh, he talks about their hypocrisy, the, the wicked's hypocrisy that have planted them. Verse 2, Yea, they have taken root, they grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth, but, or excuse me, and far from their reins. And so they'll say things that may sound right, but, but they're not allowing God to guide them, to direct them. They're not going in the way that God would have them to go. And so Jeremiah comes back to this point in verse number 3 that we read. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried my heart toward thee. Jeremiah points out again, not that God needs the reminding, but he says this to God. God, even though the wicked are doing all these things, even though the rest of the people are ignoring you, even though the rest of the people are disobedient to you, you have seen me. You know what I am. You know uh, what I've done and you know what my heart is. And this reminded me of the importance that no matter what goes on in the world around us, we still have the ability and the choice to live obediently to God. See, the people around Jeremiah were not doing so. And you can definitely look around our world today and understand that most of the people in this world are not living obediently to God. But that doesn't mean that we have to follow their direction. We can follow God's direction still. And that's exactly here where we're now, and he's praying a prayer, as he says at the end of verse number three, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. You see, Jeremiah, a little bit of frustration maybe building in here. Uh, discouragement, like we talked about this morning, maybe building in a little bit here as well. But uh, at the end of the day, Jeremiah is saying, but God, you've seen me, you've tried me, uh, you know what I am, you know what my heart is. God, I'm still being obedient to you. And we must live right no matter what is going on around us. Verses 5 and 6 talk about uh, a little bit more of, of, even to a degree, preparation for larger trials. It says, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trusted, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? For even thy brethren and the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously within thee, or with thee. Yea, they have called a multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. And you see this, this building of going through experiences and seeing things and knowing things and it kind of, in a way, preparing for larger issues. God says, I have forsaken, or excuse me, Jeremiah says, I have forsaken mine house. I have left mine heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the land of her enemies. Understanding that even God's hand on them is now beginning to be removed from them. That protection that was there is not necessarily there anymore. Uh, verse 9, using interesting language, Mine heritage is unto me as a speckled bird. The birds round about are against her. Come ye, assemble all the beasts of the field. Come to devour. A speckled bird is a bird that is basically, for lack of a better word, useless. They cannot be used for sacrifices to God because they're speckled. They're not that pure. And so that, that idea of useless, uh, or unuseful, useless, um, now these people that God had uh, set apart, sanctified, prepared as His own, His people, His called out people, and God was saying, these people that are supposed to be my children, that are supposed to be mine heritage, they are useless. And we've talked about this in, in other sermons, but 
But how dangerous of a place are we in if, we, if God looks at us as useless? You think about all the people that God used. The sinners. I mean, some, some really wicked people. I think of Samson a lot when I think of these kinds of things. Samson was, almost all of his life until, until he died, basically, he was just wicked. Uh, Rahab had a very, very dirty lifestyle. God used Rahab. Moses, Abraham, David, Paul, uh, name any of them. Any, any person in the Bible not named Jesus, name them and you're going to see there's wickedness there. And God still used them. And so for God to look down and say, these people, the people that are supposed to be my people, now I see them as useless. Verse 10 talks about the leaders, many pastors, that's not talking necessarily preachers, but, but leaders. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyards. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. That terminology to me is so incredible. They have taken what was supposed to be beautiful, what was supposed to be useful, what was supposed to be good, what was supposed to be nearly perfect. They have made a pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. I don't know if you've ever been in a desolate wilderness before, but there's not much there. Um, that's kind of what desolate means. Uh, it is bare. It is, you can't grow uh, food. You don't, you don't, there's just nothing going on there. There's not, not much you can do with it. And so here he's saying what was supposed to be pleasant is now desolate. Verse 11, they made it desolate. And being desolate, it mourneth unto me. The whole land is made desolate because no man layeth it to heart. Anywhere you find God's displeasure, you're going to find desolation. People will look at our country today and they'll say, boy, it's getting desolate. Our country today is getting bare when it comes to uh, spirituality, Christianity, the things of God. Well, where God is displeased with, it will eventually become desolate. We have to remember, as Jeremiah was well known for doing, the importance of praying for the wicked. I've heard people say, uh, you know, they're just ready for the Lord's return. Part of me is, but the other part of me says, but, you know, not yet. We got work to get done. There are people that I love that if the Lord returns today, they'll spend eternity in hell. We have to spend more time praying for the wicked than we do giving up on the wicked. Than we do saying, fine, let it be. Lord, Lord, burn them down. <laughs> Take them out, whatever. And there are those frustrating days where sometimes it's easy to say that as, a, as opposed it is to saying, Lord, please spare. Lord, please be patient. Lord, please show mercy. We live right. We do what God wants us to do. We let God, uh, because God does, know our heart, sees us, knows exactly what we are, even in the midst of a wicked world. We pray for the wicked. Look in verse 15. It says, And it shall come to pass after that I have plucked them out. I will return and have compassion on them and will bring them again, every man to his heritage and every man to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name, the Lord liveth. As they taught my people to swear by Baal, then shall they be built in the midst of my people, 
Look in verse 17, an important phrase, and we've seen it many times already, but if they will not obey. Now listen, mercy is available. The question comes, will you accept grace? He says, I will after I've plucked them out. So the discipline's still coming. There's hardships that's coming. But after that, I will return. I will not leave or forsake. I will return. I will have compassion. I will bring them again. Uh, they will learn and, and, and understand what is right again. But in verse 17, But if they will not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, saith the Lord. And I know we hit on this a lot. I don't mean to, to over uh, hit on one topic. But God's not okay with sin. And the more that you reject and the more that you say, I'm not going to obey that. I know it's right. See, that's the problem in today's world is people know what's right, but they still choose to do wrong. And I say today's world, it's been all throughout history. Eve knew what was right, she chose to do wrong. Adam knew what was right, he chose to do wrong. Noah knew what was right, he chose to do wrong. Moses knew what was right, he chose to do wrong. And on and on and on and on and on. But what you find here is God saying, I am willing to offer mercy to the Christian who goes away from God. We use the term backslidden. The Christian who backslides and runs and goes a different direction and leaves God. If they come back to God, God says, I'll restore you. But if you still choose to not obey there is going to be a consequence for it, and it's one that you're not going to like. See, mercy is available. It's just whether or not you accept the grace that God offers. In Jeremiah 12, you see a frustrated Jeremiah, the prophet. We know that he loves his people. We know that he cares deeply about his people. But he's just been told, hey, we're going to kill you because we don't like the message that you've been preaching. And he turns to God and he says, God, you see them, you see me. I know you know what I am. I know you know my heart. Or what about these people? And God says, listen, there's, there's consequences coming for these people's actions. But he also comes back at the end of the chapter and says, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to restore. I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to offer mercy, but if they still won't obey, then I'll pluck them up. This may be too light of an illustration, but have you ever had a hair that stands out of place? So you get water and you try to wet it down. Get, sorry, James. Um, try to wet it down. <laughs> This is an insensitive illustration, I apologize. Uh, try to wet it down, and you're sitting there, and you're, you, maybe you spit on it, and you, you're sitting there, and you're doing whatever you can to get down, and then finally, I don't know if anybody else has done this, but I have, finally you go, you know what? I don't need that hair. Boop, block it out. Now again, it's somewhat of a goofy illustration, but God says, I've given you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity 
to be in the place you're supposed to be. And if you're just going to remain out of place, then eventually, and listen, God is far more patient than we are. God gives far more opportunities than we do. But God says, at the end of the day, you have to make the decision, are you going to obey or not? And sadly, so many Christians, they spend their early Christian life obeying God. You know, when we first get saved, there's that, that joy and that excitement. I've got to learn more and I've got to know more and, and wanting to know why you do what you do and things like that. And we, we live for God and we do right. But sometimes as life goes on and life continues to hit and we, so we talked about the enemy constantly attacking and things going on, you know, we start to get worn down and get away from that consistent obedience to God. And before long it becomes consistent disobedience to God. And here we stand in a place that we're not supposed to be. And God is saying, I'm having compassion on you. I'm here. I'm waiting. Come back. Mercy is available. And then it's up to us to make that choice. Are we going to obey or not? It sounds so simple because we used to sing it as kids about obedience. But it really is that simple. Just obey God. Just do right. Just do what He intends for you. I think Jeremiah chapter 12 is a good reminder on that simple thought of it's, let's just live the way that God wants us to live. Let's do what God wants us to do. We are going to suffer consequences for our wrongdoings. Because God hates sin and God, as a righteous God, cannot accept sin. But God says... I won't leave you and forsake you. I will be here for you. And as soon as you're ready to make that decision to obey, I'm ready to restore. Don't fall into the, to the person or the belief that, well, because I'm so bad or I was so bad that God will no longer see me the same way. God is the only, if I can use the word person, God is the only person that will not look at you differently because of your past. And God sees you through His eyes. And His eyes is, is as a Father and as a God. And He says, I love you. And if you will come back, I will have you every single time. The question is, is when is it too late for us? We don't know, right? That's why we have to live right today. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised next week. We're not promised next year. You ever given up on a or thought of a New Year's resolution halfway through the year and thought, okay, come January 1st, I'm going to do that? Well, don't do that when it comes to living right with God. Don't say, well, after this event or this month or this year, then I'll start doing this. Just start right now. Live the way that God wants you to live so that you confidently can do as Jeremiah said in verse number 3, Lord, you knowest me and has seen me and tried my heart towards thee, knowing confidently that God can see you as one who is living the way that God intends for you to live. Pray for the wicked. Live right. Accept the mercy that God offers. Lord, I thank you for your love, and I thank you for your patience. Lord, I thank you for your long-suffering. God, we are so unworthy to serve a God that is so loving. God, we are so, and never will be, worthy but Lord, you still choose to love us. 
in spite of us. God, help us to live obediently. Lord, help us to understand just how good you are. And Lord, no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what tempts us, no matter what our, our own self thinks will make us happy and satisfied, God, may we always understand that you are the only one who can give us true, lasting, eternal joy. Lord, may we constantly keep our eyes on you. God, I pray that as we do have those around us and a world around us that is not living for you, God, may we not be discouraged by it, but Lord, may we be motivated by it to pray more fervently, Lord, to work more fervently to get the gospel to those around us. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. May we live this week in light of your goodness. Provide and protect for us as we go our separate ways today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We've had a good day today, and uh, we'll be back if, uh, on Wednesday night. Nehemiah chapter 6. Good to see everybody here today. And uh, God, um, let's look at verse number 3. Nehemiah 6 and verse number 3. That'll be our text verse today. And we'll look at some other verses in the chapter as well. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse number 3 says, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? We've been talking, of course, we're going through Nehemiah. Anytime you're going through a book in the Bible, you're going to kind of hit on the same topic consistently. But we've been talking about the importance of work, the work for God. And here is a great question that is asked by Nehemiah. Why should the work cease? And uh, we'll see here Sanballat, Tobiah, and others now have sent a letter and they've, they've told Nehemiah they want to meet somewhere. And uh, Nehemiah's response to them is this, I'm doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? It's a good question to ask and we're going to ask it today. Why should the work cease? Lord, I pray that you'll help us this morning as we look into your word. God, I pray that you teach us something new. I pray that you'd remind us of something that we've learned before. God, I pray that you would challenge us to be more of what you want us to be today. God, I pray that as we present these verses that I would do it clearly and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are oftentimes in life we look for excuses to stop working. Um, you don't have to give me very many. If I have an opportunity, I will. I have a boss who likes to take us out to eat. And um, we haven't done this in a number of months now, but uh, nonetheless, he, he enjoys it. He likes taking the, the guys out to eat that work for him. And, uh, and I've heard coworkers complain about, we should be out doing, out working, and we're wasting our time here eating. And I always say, hey, listen, he's offering us free food. Um, let's just take a break for a couple minutes here and enjoy what he's giving us. And, uh, you know, you don't have to tell me twice. If you say, hey, would you like a free meal? Yeah, I'm in. And uh, I get suckered into all those sales pitches by free meals. I'm okay with it. Uh, as I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. But uh, when it comes to the work of the Lord, there honestly is never a time while we are living 
to cease the work of God. There's never a moment in life where it makes sense for us to stop doing what God has asked us to do. There's never a moment in life where the work seems to be uh, at a completion to the point where it's okay to stop. You see, God has called us to so many things. And so when we ask the question, why should the work cease, there's a few things that go into this. Number one today, um, what work needs to continue? If we're going to ask the question, why should the work cease, we need to understand what work we have that needs to continue, that needs to be moving forward. In context, obviously, here in Nehemiah's case, they're building the wall. Uh, they are building up the defense, the protection for their city. They are uh, continuing to build and, and, and get it to where it needs to be. Um, in verse number 1 of chapter 6, it tells us at the end of the verse uh, that uh, he had built the wall, that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates yet. So they were getting close to completion of the wall now. And so in this context of the passage, that's what they were working on. What work that uh, needs to continue for us, though, today? We're not building a wall. At least I'm not. I don't know if you are or not, but I am not building a wall. And uh, so what work do I need to continue with? And obviously the first answer to that is the Great Commission, where the Bible tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That, that work, by the way, will never end. I have a friend... And I appreciate him very much. Trent Cornwell, he's preached for us a, a few years back uh, in our missions conference. And, uh, you know, I've heard Trent say many times over, I believe that in our generation we can accomplish the Great Commission. And I appreciate his fervor uh, and his desire to see the Great Commission accomplished. And that should be our desire as well. We look at it as a great task. It is a very hard task to reach every single person, to share the gospel with every single living person in the world. Every single day people die, and every single day people are born. And so for us to reach every single creature on the earth, it's going to take a consistent and a valiant effort. Now the Bible does tell us that on our own we cannot accomplish this mission, but with God's help we can. That God will go with us and be with us and, and, and help us to accomplish this. And we as a church seek to accomplish the Great Commission through not only our own personal evangelization of us going to our co-workers and our neighbors and our family members and the strangers that we meet on a daily basis and sharing the gospel with them, but as well as sending and supporting missionaries to go throughout the world, to start churches, to train people, to go out and do the same. You see, it is a constant effort. There is not enough churches in the world. When we started the church in Lexington in 2014, we had people that didn't understand why Lexington. Why Central Kentucky? Uh, I was told by one person, why don't you go out west? They need churches out there. And I shared with them, well, number one, that's where God told me to go. Number two, uh, we need churches everywhere. I don't think there's a single spot in the world that you can go and go, yeah, no, no, they don't need a church. Now, you could argue that some places are in greater need because they have fewer churches. I understand that, that conversation. But at the end of the day, we could start a church everywhere, in every city, in every town, in every province, uh, in every country around the world, and still need more churches. With church comes the training of people, the discipling of people, teaching them what God's Word says, how to live a godly lifestyle. And, and sadly, today there are churches both Christian and unchristian, that teach uh, a, a lifestyle, but it's a lifestyle according to the brand, if I can use it, that terminology. 
um, Catholics teach a certain lifestyle. You have to do certain things. Um, there are certain Baptists that teach you've got to do certain things to the weirdest things. To, uh, if you have hair, men, your hair has to be parted a certain way. That's weird stuff. It doesn't make any sense. It's not biblical. But you see, in order for us to, to teach the Bible across the nations, we can't teach our own personal opinions. We stick to Scripture, and part of that is in the Great Commission, going into the world, teaching and training people to follow and live as God has taught them uh, to live. And so in church planning missionaries, that is our goal, to support missionaries who will go out and start churches or assist in starting churches so that more people can be trained and taught and then sent out to go and train more people uh, than what needs to be taught so that they can train more people. And it's a, it's a domino effect. It should be. The Great Commission is a work that needs to continue, that, that it never can we say it's okay to cease. Uh, another thing that we must look at is the second commandment uh, that is given to us, love thy neighbor as thyself. It is never a moment in life where God says it's okay for you to not love your neighbor. You cannot come up with the worst neighbor in the world and say, God, it's okay to not love this person, right? No, that's not how it works. Why should the work cease in loving our neighbor? At the end of this year, we're still praying about this, but at the end of this year, if the banners go down, new banners go up, it doesn't mean that we're done loving our neighbors. It's a work that should not cease. It's a work that must go on. It's a work that must continue at all times. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father, by him. Then a few more verses down in verse 23, Colossians 3:23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. These verses teach us that another work that must continue, uh, that we cannot stop, is living for God, doing everything that we do to honor and to glorify God. Again in Colossians 3:17, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, in what you say or how you act, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3.23, whatsoever ye do. The Bible uses terms that, that are clear, uh, unmistakable. The word all is used in the Bible many, many times. It means all. The word whatsoever here in Colossians 3.23 means whatsoever, whatever, in all things that you do, do all to the glory of God. Do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Even loving our neighbor, it's a good act, a, a sign or a show of compassion to our neighbor. We're not doing it for the purpose of our neighbor, we're doing it for the purpose of God. I love my neighbor because I love God. I love my enemy because I love God. I don't do it for them. Um, in most cases, a human who does something nice for someone else is doing it in some part for themselves. Uh, sadly, this is true. They say, I'm going to give to this person. Why? Because when I do, it makes me feel good inside. I'm going to to help this person, in the back of their minds they're saying, if I help this person, someone will see me help this person and they'll pat me on the back or they'll, they'll acknowledge my friendliness that I showed. Now, I understand that we're human and because of that we're naturally prideful. 
look back at the beginning of time, pride has, has uh, incorporated even Lucifer fallen from heaven. Why? Because of pride. You see, pride is at the root of most sins. Maybe not all sins, but at the, at the root of most sins, I believe, is pride. And God says, whatever you're doing, don't do it for yourself and don't do it for other people. Do it for me. And you see, that is a work that must continue. That no matter what we do, we do it for God and it cannot stop. There's never a point in your life, there's not a second in your life that you should not be living for God. God doesn't say, you know, as at the, I don't, and I'm, I probably should have looked at this up before I said it, but um, the, I think it's the Amish that they have like a period with their teenagers and they say, okay, you have a year, maybe it's less, I don't know. You go out and live life however you want to live it and then you come back and decide if you want to continue on living this lifestyle or not. God never says, here's a time period where it's okay to, for you to go out and just test the waters so to say. Live how you want to live. That's okay. You just do it for a week, or you just do it for a month, or you just do it for a year. God never says that's okay. God says, you're supposed to live for me consistently and always. Let me ask you this question. When does God stop being God? Even when God sent His Son Jesus, who is God, to this earth, Jesus did not stop being God. He was still 100% God and 100% man while He lived on this earth. God never stops being God, so why do we think it's okay for us to stop being Christian? For us to stop being God's child? For us to stop being God's ambassador? For us to stop living in a way that God desires for us to live? It is a work that needs to continue. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see in the early church... Uh, the church there in uh, that we read of there in chapter two that's developed in chapter three and so on, you see them daily being the church. They were meeting together, they were praying together, they were fellowshipping together, they were uh, loving their neighbors together, they were serving the community together. They were doing these things as a whole together daily on a daily. Now listen, I'm not saying that we got to have church service every single day of the week. All right. I'm not saying that I expect that, hey, starting in October, we are going to be meeting on a daily basis. Uh, no, we're not going to do that. But that doesn't mean that on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, when the church does not have services, that we can just go off and live our own life. We ought to still be living life for God. You see, because the church is people... Because the church is not a building, because if a tornado came and ripped down this building, we would still have a church. Daily the church should be active. Daily the church should be working. Daily the church should be serving. Daily the church should be loving. Daily the church should be edifying. Daily the church should be going on for God. That is the work that must continue. The great commission that God has given us. The other commandments that God has given us, including love thy neighbor as thyself. Living that what, whatever we're doing, we do uh, as to the Lord heartily and for God and by God. That's the work that needs to continue. Why should the work cease? Why should we stop those things to go down and to attend to something different? The answer is we should not. So number one, what work needs to continue? Number two today, what will distract from the work? The question is, why should the work cease? And oftentimes the work ceases because of distractions. 
Something that gets our eyes off of what we're doing, our hearts, our minds off of what we're doing. There's a number of things that will distract you, but three things here today. Number one, people who want to hurt you. Look in verse number two. Let's start in verse number one, since we haven't read it all. It says, Now it came to pass, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they, had, they thought to do me mischief. You ever wonder when you hear the words, oh no, where the root of that is? Here it is, right here in the Bible. Did you know that? Oh no. Uh, yeah, the city was named oh no, so obviously Nehemiah smartly thought this probably is not good. Here we see people who wanted to hurt Nehemiah. One way people will, or you'll get distracted from the work is that there will be people who will try to do you harm, whether it be physical emotional, uh, harm to your testimony, whatever it may be, there are going to be people who are not going to be excited about the work that you're doing. And sadly, there are some vicious people. We already talked about Satan, our ultimate adversary, who's obviously ruthless in what he does. But there will be people who will seek to distract you by hurting you. We have to be very careful and very guarded in this world. We have to understand, and it starts by, I had this conversation this morning, uh, I had it with other people this week and throughout the, the months leading up to this, but accountability. Because there's going to be people who are going to try to, to hurt you and they're going to harm you, and the way they're going to do that is they're going to try to hurt your name. And if you have no accountability set up, if you have nothing that will... Uh, be set up to prove that that is not who you are, then you're going to be in trouble. But Nehemiah here, he says he got the invite. Let's go down to the villages in the plain of Ono. And he said they, they didn't want to have a conversation. They thought to do me mischief. And oftentimes we'll be distracted by the work by people who want to do us mischief. Number two, people who want to distract you. Just people who want to get you off target. People who want to try to, to get you somewhere else. Look in verse number 10. Afterward, I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabiel, uh, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that, being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in, and lo, I perceive that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Here we see an idea that's given to Nehemiah that's not a bad idea. Saying they're going to come and they're going to try to kill you, you should go and hide. You should go in the temple and hide. Listen, it's not, it's not if that's true that they're going to come kill him, it's not a bad idea to go hide, Right? Um, we're dealing with this in some conversations in America, and I hope I don't offend anybody today, but um, where people say, you don't need that to protect you. You need to turn it in, get rid of it, and whatever. And, and uh, you know what? There are people in this world who, who are trying to harm us, and it's, it's okay and it's wise to protect yourself. 
And we live in a country that at the moment gives us the freedom to do so. And so by all means, take the freedoms that you have and use them. So here's not bad advice necessarily given to Nehemiah, but it wasn't what God wanted for Nehemiah. Nehemiah was given by God this mission to build and rebuild Jerusalem. That's what he was supposed to be doing, not hiding. And Nehemiah had enough faith and enough confidence that God was going to take care of him. And he had enough wherewithal and sense, and I believe it's through his interactions with God, that he understood, and as it says in verse 12, I perceived that God had not sent him, just as he perceived in verse number 2 that they thought mischief on him. Um, Bill Rice III, uh, who uh, was the president of the camp when we worked at the camp, he always preached and he always said, you've got a brain, you've got a Bible, now use it. And isn't it funny how many times Christians don't use the brain that God gave them? There's no thinking involved. They just go with whatever. Well, that sounds good. I guess I'll do it. It's part of the reason why so many Christians veer away from Scriptures because they don't use their Bible or their brain. They let someone else talk them into something that isn't biblical. And so they follow along that way. But there are people that come along our way that, that in order to, to stop the work, they will try to distract you. And here was the case uh, as uh, um, the son of Mahetta, whatever. Uh, uh, we see here uh, that this person came and they said, I, I, why don't we go in here and stop working and go and hide because there's danger out here. People are going to try to just distract you very simply. Then, number three, people who want to trap you. Verse 13, Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and to do so and sin, that, I, uh, that they might have uh, matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. There are going to be people who want to hurt you, people who want to distract you, and people who are going to trap you. And this falls in line with the things we've already talked about. But we see uh, four things here listed by Nehemiah uh, that this person was trying to trap him. Number one, uh, for fear. He says he was hired that I should be afraid. Fear is a very powerful tactic. It's used by bosses. It's used by parents. It's used... Uh, by government sometimes. It's used by um, different people. You can look at it um, in sports. There are guys who will growl and grunt and make weird noises trying to induce some fear in the person on the opposite team. It's used all over the world. Kids use it with other kids. Um, sometimes weak people use it to try to scare off strong people. Um, we've heard stories of people acting crazy just to scare someone. It's a good tactic, by the way. Uh, but nonetheless, not that I've ever had to. I've always been the strong one. But anyways, um, we see that there are people who want to spread fear. That will stop you from the work. If you are now fearful, well, if I go on and I keep doing this for God, um, what will happen? Maybe I should stop. I think of those, Nate Saint and the others that were with him, they were going to a cannibal uh, tribe. They knew there was danger there. I would have been scared to death, and I imagine they were scared to some degree as well. But they decided they were going to go anyways. 
and live with whatever God had planned for their lives. And although we would look back and go, boy, that ended tragically, as they were murdered by those they were going to reach, we also see that later on, those people were reached. In part because of the lack of fear those missionaries had going in. And the lack of fear that uh, the wife had going back later. You see, fear is dangerous. And it can trap us. Not only that, they said, uh, Nehemiah said, and to do so, being afraid, uh, and sin. There will be people who will try to trap you into sin. Why? Well, it goes on and he says that they might have a matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. Nehemiah said that, that uh, the goal here was for him to be afraid, for him to sin against God, and then they would have something to be able to go to the people and see your leader, Nehemiah, this is what he did. He did wrong, he did evil, he did wicked. Why would you follow him? And that was the goal in what they were doing. They were trying to trap him into ruining his testimony. And when you ruin your testimony, you ruin your effectiveness for God. If you're going to go out and live a life that is ungodly, you're going to have a hard time sharing the gospel with those who know you best. Sure, you might still have some effectiveness within strangers, but at the end of the day, there are just things that you do in your life that are wrong, that are sinful, that are evil that you do those things and then after doing them with your co-workers, you try to open up your Bible to your co-workers, they're going to say, what are you doing? That's why it's so hard to share the gospel with family. Family knows us better than anybody. And there are things that you've done in your past that you, just, you can't change it, right? Once you've done it, you can't change it. And they know all of your weaknesses, they know all of your faults, and you try to open the Bible with them. And, and if you've overcome and you've seen victory in those things, it's a great testimony that you can share with them. I know what I used to be like. I know what I used to do. Um, but thankfully, God saved me out of that. God's helped me with that, and here's how He did. I always am a little afraid when we have visitors show up from my past. I wasn't a horrible person necessarily, but uh, in some people's eyes you'd say, oh no, that's nothing. But nonetheless... There are stories that they know from college or from high school or from wherever that I go, oh man, I just hope they don't tell anybody that story. That's just, that one's a little, I've told you enough stories on myself. I try to get some of it out there, all the good, bad stuff out there. And so that when someone else comes, you've already heard, and you're not surprised by anything. But you see, there's uh, one of the reasons why the work ceases is because we get distracted by people who try to hurt us, by people who just simply try to distract us, and by people who are trying to trap us into making a mistake. Why should the work cease? Well, we have to understand first what work needs to continue. We need to also know that there are things that will distract us from the work. And then thirdly and lastly today, what will be the result of not stopping? The question is, why should the work cease? And if we say it shouldn't, and we're going to keep working, and we're going to keep going... What will be the result? Look in verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul in the 50 and 52 days. The wall was done. It was accomplished. You see, if we don't stop, we will accomplish things for God. I know it's hard sometimes when we're working and we don't always see the result 
of that work. Sometimes we'll work and we'll work and we'll work and we'll say, God, I'm not seeing the fruit. I'm not seeing the, uh, uh, any accomplishments. I'm not really understanding what's being accomplished through all this work. Sometimes we share the gospel with someone and they turn us down. We pray for opportunity and opportunity comes again and we share the gospel with them again. They turn us down. We share the gospel with them again and they, they turn us down. And we say, God, I don't, I don't understand. Is it something that I'm doing? Am I saying something wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Am I, you know, what's happening? I've heard many stories of people who have faithfully shared the gospel with family members and they prayed for them for years and for years and for years and for years. And even to some degree thought, time is running out. I don't know if the message of the gospel will ever get through to them. And then, thank the Lord, it did. God convicted their heart. And they finally understood, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. If we don't stop, we will see accomplishments for God. If we don't stop, others will see the accomplishments as well. Even the wicked, the godless, the, 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 the heathen among the world can see some of the things that God has done. Look in verse uh, 16, And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Those that were causing all these problems for Nehemiah and for the people working, they were, they were cast down among their own eyes. They kind of dropped their heads. They were kind of ashamed of what they had done. And they came to the point of realization that, that this work that was being done, it was right of God. God was the one that was doing it, and God was not going to be able to be defeated or stopped. Psalm 126, verse 2 says, Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. Psalm 126, verse... Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Here in verse 16, you see that as well, where they realize uh, the, the, that there was really no point in fighting these people anymore and trying to stop them no more because what was being done was being done by God and of God. You see, when we are working for God... Nothing can stand in our way. If you remember the children of Israel, when they finally obeyed and went into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan River. Joshua uh, there, or excuse me, the spies went into uh, Jericho. And what were, did they hear of the people? The people were terrified. The people were terrified that the Israelites were coming. Others sent, uh, uh, pretended like they traveled a long distance to make a deal uh, with the Israelites because of their fear. You see, the nations that were in the promised land feared what was coming because they knew God was coming to take their land, not the children of Israel. They knew that God was with them and that with God all things were possible. We see in, in the conquest of the promised land a, a moment where the sun literally stood still, where day lasted longer than normal, where God held it where it was in place so that there was daylight for the children of Israel to go and win. You see, with that kind of power, there is no losing. Maybe you are 
or someone who's been in opposition to God before. Maybe you're someone who has been fighting against God and against the things of God. There's going to come a point where I hope that you realize you just can't win against God. God is too powerful. God is too mighty. God is all-knowing. He's all-present. You can't defeat God. The enemies here understood. Finally, they dropped their head in shame. Uh, it appears to be in that, that understanding of why were we even putting up this fight? This work was of God. You see, God, we sang about today, grace that is greater than all our sins, and bestowed upon all who believe. You see, you don't have to be in opposition of God. As a matter of fact, you can become a child of God. The Bible says that because of our sins, we cannot attain God on our own. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't attain God on our own. It's impossible for us to do this. We can't be good enough to get to heaven. We can't give enough money to get to heaven. We can't do enough nice things to, to, to people to get to heaven. That's not how it works. Our sin keeps us from getting to heaven. But the Bible also tells us that God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That even because God knew we were sinners, he chose to come and die for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ, that, that God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to earth to die. To die a criminal's death. To die a, a, a horrible death on the cross for the purpose of giving us the gift of eternal life, of salvation. You see people oppose and oppose and oppose, and they fight God and they fight God, and yet every single time they oppose God, God still sends there with His arms open saying, if you will just believe in Me, if you will just put your trust in Me, you too can have eternal life. You too can fight on My side, as opposed to fighting against Me. What will be the result of not stopping? Well, it will be accomplishments for God. And in order for you to accomplish things for God, you have to be with God. But that's not the only thing that we'll see as a result of not stopping. Another thing we'll see is continued attacks. Verse 19 says, Also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. You see, although God gives us victory and, and He promises to do so and He gives us victories in this world, in this life, and we're working for Him and we're working for Him, and, and again, I don't say this to discourage you, but it's the truth. The attacks will keep coming. Until the day your life on this earth is over, if you're living for God, there are going to be either people, at the very least, Satan, who will be constantly attacking some people might give up. As we kind of look at in verse 16, some people might be converted that we're fighting against that are attacking us. Those people we might see accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. But we know that Satan will keep fighting. 
He's going to keep pressing. He's going to keep working on us. He's going to keep tempting us. He's going to keep attacking us. So the end of the day, we have to ask the question, why should the work cease? And I can tell you, you will not find an answer in the Bible for why the work should cease. The work must go on. The work must continue. But oftentimes the work ceases because maybe we don't understand what the work is. The work is the Great Commission. The work is the commandments in the Bible. The work is to live our life for God at all times. Why should the work cease? Well, sometimes it will cease because we get distracted. But if we'll keep working, we will see some results and we will see accomplishments for God. Even though the attacks will keep coming, we'll still see accomplishments, victories. God's working in our life. Why should the work cease? It shouldn't. Nehemiah understood that. So he didn't leave his work, he kept working. Your work shouldn't cease either. May I encourage you today. Keep working. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. God, I pray that you'd help us, number one, to understand what the work is. Lord, we know that we're going to be distracted. We know that there is going to be opposition. We know there are going to be things that are going to try to get us to stop the work. But Lord, help us to understand how important the work is. Give us a burden for these things. God, that we will follow you and do what you've told us to do. And God, I pray that we would not be discouraged by the attacks that continue, but God, that we can keep our eyes and focus on the victories and the accomplishments that you give us. And God, as Nehemiah did not fear and he just trusted you, God, may we as well do the same. And God, I pray that if there's anyone today in this room that has been in opposition of God, Lord, today I pray that you would prick their heart or that you would convict them of their need to no longer be in opposition to you, but Lord, to become part of your family. God, we pray for your help now. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you this question. Question number one today, are you discouraged? Are you distracted? Has there been something that has maybe taken your focus off of the work that is necessary? necessary? And today you'd say, you know what, Pastor? Uh, maybe I haven't been uh, working like I should. Maybe I have ceased at least at times. And I, I have these moments. And the Lord spoke to me today about an area in which I have ceased the work and I need to get it back to work, continue the work. And and the Lord spoke to me today about that. And Pastor, would you please pray for me? Just slip your hand up and slip it back down. Pray for me that I'll continue to work. Question number two, thank you. Question number two, have you been in opposition of God and yet to join, if I can use the term, God's team, God's family? Have you been fighting against God and today God has spoken to your heart about your need to no longer oppose Him, but to place your belief and your trust in His saving grace. And this morning you'd say, Preacher, don't embarrass me, but I have to admit, if I were to die today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. I don't know that, that I would be fighting for God. And don't embarrass me. Don't call me out. But if you'd pray for me, I'd be okay with that. You just slip your hand up and slip it back down. All right, wonderful. Would you stand with me, please? Heads bowed, eyes closed. The piano is going to play. If the Lord spoke to you about something today, would you take just a moment? You can pray at your seat. You can come to the front if you'd like. 
Just take a moment with God.